like the show? Want to listen to episodes early? Consider becoming a patron. Starting at the $3 a month level, patrons get access to a custom patron-only feed where we put out episodes of Upstairs Studio podcasts like the Child Care Bar and Grill, Miss Becky's Classroom, That Early Childhood Nerd, the Renegade Rules podcast, and others early. That feed is just for patrons. You could be one of them. Go to patreon.com slash playvolutionhq or click the link in the show description to learn more. Hey everyone, it's Heather. I know you're here to listen to the podcast, but did you know I also offer all kinds of online consulting services? Stuff like webinars, book studies, curriculum training and consultation, and even companion activities for podcast episodes to use for staff development. If you're interested, you can check out my website at www.thatearlychildhoodnerd.com or you can email me at heather at thatearlychildhoodnerd.com. Thanks for listening. Grab your highlighters. Can't find them? They're probably right there in your pocket protector. It's time for that Early Childhood Nerd Podcast. Let's get nerdy. Here's Heather. Hello, everybody. Welcome to another episode of That Early Childhood Nerd. I'm Heather Burnt-Santi, and I've got Lisa Murphy on today. Hello. And uh, we're going to talk to you about caring. Caring. <laughs> um, so, so this is going to, our conversation is going to center kind of around, or get started off of, I guess, because uh, who knows what our conversation is going to end right. up centering <laughs> Um, but this is an art from an article called the invisible curriculum by Carol Garbode and Murray. And probably she's on last week's episode by the time this episode comes out. Uh, Ah. She, we, we did a, we did a a little episode with her already. Um, but the quote to start it is actually from Milton Meyerhoff. I'm going to assume is how to say that. And Milton says, we sometimes speak as if caring did not require knowledge as if caring for someone, for example, were simply a matter of good intentions or warm regard. But to care, I must understand the other's needs and I must be able to respond properly to them. And clearly good intentions do not guarantee this. To care for someone, I must know many things. I love that. I do too. And I, it, um, it's one of those, those things when I was reading this article and that quote, one of those moments where I'm like, yes, this is what's been floating around in my head and not coming out articulately. <laughs> well, you know, I, I'll, I'm going to jump on that because yeah. um, probably for the last, you know, couple of years, I, I'll toss that out in, in a workshop, the idea that we, we need to get over this uh, somehow that our teaching, oh, Heather, he found toilet <laughs> we, paper. We interrupt <laughs> this deep conversation. <laughs> we interrupt this podcast. We have four rolls of toilet paper in the house. <laughs> <laughs> so what's funny oh is he God. went out for a he went out for a uh this was a very non-pablo announcement he he was <laughs> he, he left to go buy a fishing rod oh. this morning oh and i'm like um so this is what we're gonna do with our quarantine time we're gonna like start hunting for our own food <laughs> like do you even know how to use that and so anyway so that's the whole sidebar yeah. there i'm so yeah. glad 
interrupted. That's hilarious. Came back with toilet paper. Um, Went out for a fishing and then, rod and came back with toilet paper. <laughs> for all I know, he didn't come back with a fishing rod. I have, I don't know yet. Um, but anyway, whatever, what yeah. I was saying was that what is is the the language that I found that I was using, and probably like you, it was kind of clumsy feeling. But I just wanted to. I didn't have a very eloquent way to get it out there, mm-hmm. and so I just kind of barfed it out. Which is we we got to get over this sense that that the teaching part of our job is more important than the caregiving component, that we, we need to be more willing to embrace that caregiving piece. And so when you, when you sent me this, this article to read, I was like, oh my God, thank God there's somebody out there that has more words <laughs> uh-huh. to, to, to unpack this, I think a, a little bit more. Cause all I've got, that's all I had was like that yeah. one thing to toss out, like get over it, figure it out. Why do you have such an issue with it? Like, why do we uh-huh. like that? That was always the question that, that I would have is, is, is why are we hurrying through the caregiving components of the day in order to get to when we get to, as you've said, play teacher. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so I, I, and I know people will have heard this story if they've listened before um, or interacted with me professionally in any capacity, because I tell it a lot, but my first job in early childhood was with two-year-olds. And one of the things I was proudest of was how fast I could get through the assembly line diapering mm. to get to the real stuff. And um, then I discovered um Meg the Gerber. Diaper. Yeah, yeah. The diapering is the real is stuff. Is the real stuff. And so I, I'm very used to thinking and talking about that for children under the age of three. Like that makes perfect sense. When we get older, somehow it's easier to let go of that, I think, and and get into this. I think I think diapering. I I, yeah. I, I would hone in on the act of diapering. Yeah. And so because that for the most part is no longer a part. Typically, mm-hmm. once you're getting into threes, fours, fives, a, a true pre-K kind yeah. of environment, um, you know, I, I'm not sure what other parts of the day, I mean, clearly all day we're caring, but but it isn't as maybe regimented or scheduled or mm-hmm. as or as time consuming, do I dare say, as yeah. as the diapering piece might be. Because right. they're self-sufficient, they're a little bit more self-sufficient. Maybe, mm-hmm. maybe that's at the heart of why it, it seems to kind of fall off the radar. Yeah, because exactly. for the most part, you know, they can, you can put the snack out; they can feed themselves. You can say go to the bathroom, and they can typically figure figure that out. Some of them are even able to self-soothe when they get upset or when they are falling asleep before nap time. So it's almost like we are not as necessary mm-hmm. to some of those pieces. We're still obviously are but maybe the child no longer relies on the adult to be the facilitator of those caregiving pieces to the day yeah and maybe it also has to do with so i think about um you know just a dude i used to to know a long time ago um who when he had his first child was talking to me because he knew that i was a child care center director and um he said something like um well, we'll just probably keep her at home until she's two, but then that's when they start learning. So once she's two, we'll we'll put her in a school or something. <laughs> so just this idea that learning starts at this certain age, at the, and, and that somebody else is is, is going to do it, going to be the boss of it, mm-hmm. and and not even because they're wanting to sh- to to shirk their responsibilities, quote unquote, but more of that you think you, where did we where did it come to pass that somebody else is responsible? 
for that piece? Like, why are we thinking that I can't be the you know, the boss of that? And, you know, I clearly don't know what that gentleman had in his mind, but you know, that's, that's my quick knee jerk response to yeah. that. Yeah. Is, well, he or, was wait, like, why does asshole. he think that? Oh, okay. But, 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 <laughs> but I but don't think that that was an unusual line of thinking. I don't think it is that either. And, and how, how interesting it would be to go back to, you know, hindsight 2020 and, and have a conversation. Like if, if, if somebody simply planted the seed that they could have been the ones who provided that next stage, would they perhaps have like done it. You know what yeah. I'm saying? Like, did it not even enter their head that, that, that was even an, an option that the mm -hmm. parent group could be, you know, in charge of that. Yeah. That um, to, what's the word I'm looking for? Like delegate outsourcing, like outsourcing. outsourcing, outsourcing all of these individual sections and pieces of their lives when, you know, not too long ago, really historically, you know, the, the family unit was like in charge of all of that stuff. Yeah. So, so that takes me to, um, uh, just a, in like maybe the second or third paragraph, but it, she says, um, the deep assumption about caring is that it's something anyone can do, but we do not take care of human beings the same way we take care of our house or lawn. Yes. Um, I, I highlighted that. So everybody, you know, like what you were just saying, I feel like is a good segue into, into this shift because it's true. We don't have to outsource this kind of stuff um, to anyone, we can all be doing it, but it does take an intentionality. It does take some knowledge. So that doesn't mean that you necessarily have to go take a college course about how to care during routine times with children, although it might not hurt, but we do have to think about what do I know about this child? What do I know about my own feelings? Um, what, what do I believe about this part of the day? Like, so I, I say a lot when I'm talking with fam or with people who are going to be working with me, whether it's in my preschool now or when I was a director, that the child's quality of life while they're waiting to wash their hands is just as important to me oh. as any other part of their day. Um, and so that will be Not determined lesser. by your like response that. and your interaction in that moment. And I think this is what I was trying to say. Yes. <laughs> I, I like the, the, the reminder. Mm -hmm. The in-between times yeah. are, are just as important. Yeah. Um, but I, I think what, what the author of this article challenged me to do is shift from just that sort of feel goody. Oh, I want them to have a good quality of life, which felt very shallow to me at some, at times, even though I believe it strongly, I was trying to think, how does this sound to someone else? Mm, that mm. sounds like I'm a bleeding heart, you know, whatever, whatever. And I'm a teacher. So I reject it, but she has shifted it and started using the word pedagogy. Yes, okay. I like that pedagogy of care breaks down the false dichotomy that there's a difference between early education and care. That that to me is that's a workshop. That's a that's a that's a you know, and just I mean I could even see it of just people barfing out like like what part of the day would you consider early education and what part of the day is care uh -huh. and when really we need to be more I think have a visual of a Venn diagram of just how it, it really is just should be one big circle with all of those things in it and yeah. not necessarily thinking that they're that they're two separate things. I also personally love another example of a false dichotomy because I think we're, <laughs> we're quick to always say the learning and play, learning uh -huh. and play, learning and play. And so to have another example that might resonate with an, an, another group of, of yeah. people, I, I appreciated that as well. Yeah. And so it, it reminded me, or it, it gave me, I guess, a reason to reflect about my own um, language choices as I've evolved over my profession. Like 
initially I was very much just don't, I'm not a babysitter. I'm important. So this is early childhood education. And then as I evolved a little bit and started to see the importance of the relationships and the interactions and those routine times, then I really embraced early care and education. And now, honestly, I've come back around where I just want to talk about child care. (laughs) I get that early childhood education is sort of the label for our field or whatever, but if we could just talk about what kids- I think it it embraces the that that caring is is at the forefront of it mm-hmm. you know and 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 I think who was it I think Elizabeth Jones in the 90s said that we've done such a good job at convincing everybody that what we do is important that well one one people took our power away while we weren't looking right the other thing that happened too was that I think the the caregiving element of what we do got sifted out so to speak and and put aside and we were left dealing with the the school and education quote-unquote part of it and and I, I love being able to bring the caregiving element back into it because it does then allow us frequent, more frequent opportunities or whoever we're having a conversation realize that we value both equally right. weighted, right? Right. And I, I like childcare, daycare, daycare, two words, daycare, one word, daycare, childcare, two words, one word, you know, all the semantics. I, I wrote an article years ago called the verbiage wars, you know, yeah. that, and so much time nitpicking sometimes over the semantics that we just completely lose sight of the conversation. But, you know, I, I agree with you and, um, yeah, call it what it is. It's childcare. And and if you're doing it well, there's caregiving elements. And if you're doing it well, there's educational elements. Get over it now. Absolutely. (laughs) Really the, the important thing is that we're aware of the value of what we're doing regardless of what we're doing sort of is what I'm boiling down to and what you call it. Yeah. Um, I feel like I need to publicly confess that I am someone who twitches when childcare is one word, (laughs) but it's not something that I'm going to like stake my, it's not the hill I'm going to die on. As you say, um, I just, and I'd, and I'd be the same with daycare. I mean, yeah, you know, I, I still get that little yeah. cringe in my back when I hear, when I hear groups call it daycare and then I'm like, really, is this, is this the takeaway? Is this what this needs is to where be we are. reinforced yeah. right now? And I pretend like I didn't hear that yeah. and get, get over yeah. with it but because also, and I, I know this isn't really what we're talking about, but, but I also think back that has been a debate since I've Forever. been in this profession. So Clearly, me ranting about it isn't going to be what changes, you know, the general public's mind sure. at this point. I mean, so now I'm going to latch on to pedagogy of care, and that's what yes. I'm going to. Because pedagogy is just one of my favorite words, anyway. Um, and did so you know actually, how to pronounce it right away? Did did, did, did that only, word trip you up early on? Um, not really, because I was first introduced to the word um, by someone giving me the Paulo Freire book, Pedagogy of the Oppressed. So someone Mm. more knowledgeable than me already gave me the word before I was, the pronunciation before I was presented with the word. Okay. Um, But yeah, definitely. And, and, um, you know, it sort of boils down to what is our, what is our plan for and belief about how learning happens. Um, And so thinking about a pedagogy of care is really important. Important. Yeah. Yeah. Hold on. Early childhood teachers practice slowing down and creating respectful, intelligent care partnerships throughout the day. Mm-hmm. I loved that. In daily rituals, such as hand washing, meals, diapering, zipping coats, we transform the mundane into educational practices that build relationships. 
Yeah. So, and I was looking at another quote where she also talks about the intel about using intelligence. So I want to, let's dig yeah. into that. So intelligent care partnerships, what, what do you think that she, that means? Where are you? Um, so that's just right where you just were reading. Okay. Pedagogy of care as an expressive art. Yes. Um, yeah. So she says creating respectful, intelligent care partnerships. Um, and then later she says, we talk about the intelligence of her hands and body language, knowing just when to gently touch or glance in response mm. to the child's needs. So I think maybe that's what I was calling intentional a minute ago. I think it's maybe. Uh, being, being in the moment. I'm thinking of my own practice when you are engaged in the here and now mm -hmm. and not overly focused on what is supposed to be coming next in the day. I think you probably do this without realizing it. Yeah. And that, so that's what in this article, and I, um, I know not everybody, you know, acts, it, it was published in exchange. So you can access the article on there on childcare information exchange. Um, but she does, she gives a scenario where she was observing a teacher and she chose mealtime. And so the teacher sometimes has a toddler on her lap while she's caring for three others and there's a spill and um, there's just all sort of navigating the group while she's still being very sort of gentle in her interactions with them. And when they came to debrief, um, mm. Carol, the author, says that the classroom teacher was like, why did you choose lunchtime? You should have been here for my morning group time. I had such a great activity. And 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 the author of the article was able to point out all the ways that her caring, her intelligent relationship-based caring responses um, really showed her teaching skills and her knowledge of children and her um, professionalism. And the teacher was just so used to that chaotic lunchtime that she had never acknowledged her own skill in that moment. Um, and that's probably a really clumsy retelling of it, but that was no, powerful no, no, no. for me. That, yeah. that was really powerful for me to read because it, it was visceral. Like I can remember, I could, I could feel that experience of being observed during a time that feels very chaotic. Um, the, and, the thing that jumped into my head as soon as I started reading that section was, and like, this is why the day goes to shit after nap time. <laughs> It, because a lot of time after nap time is more, and I'm going to say custodial. It is yeah. it's more like that. Like, and, and I've always hated that it that people would say, "Oh, the teaching time happens in the morning," uh -huh. and I'm like, "Good lord, if you're doing it the right way, it's happening all day long." But mm -hmm. the after nap time kind of was a little bit more. I would say a little bit more free, right? Because um, there was a lot of more transitions, a lot of caregiving stuff. There was uh -huh. na like nap time, we'd wake up. Sometimes kids had to change their clothes. There was snack. And then there was this kind of slow staggering of everybody getting picked up and going <laughs> home. So there was this collective mindset of, you know, don't really start anything big after nap because it gets chopped up because it's like, it's after nap, mm -hmm. you know? Wait, save it for the morning. And... <laughs> And that, that made me think of this. And yeah. I, I, think, I think if we reframe our lens that the caregiving element is just as important, I think that might help afternoon time mm -hmm. not kind of fall into that. Yeah. Know, like it just falls apart. Yeah. Every, every program, like three o'clock, it's like, bah, 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 you know? yeah. and it's just like <laughs> this slow death until everybody is out the door by six o'clock. Yeah. And I, I, I think if we recalibrate our mindset that 
yes, those transitions and that it is going to be slowly everybody going home. It might feel different than the morning, but we're not going to see it as something less than what we did in the morning time. And so I think it was maybe you, but I can't remember what the context would have been recently where we were talking about the value of the closing shift and people's mindsets about being the closer. And, And so I thought about that too, as I was reading this, because I can remember as a director having many conversations with people who felt like closing was beneath them. Working yeah. at three to six was beneath them. And I have the degree, so I should be the morning person. And just thinking and asking, what is it about the end of the day that makes it any less likely that you need that expertise or that professionalism or that knowledge about kids and yourself? And I think that's that. It's the invisible um pieces of our job that we don't ever really articulate because you Uh have no way of even experiencing it till you show up and you're working in your first placement. Uh Then you start to see those invisible things, Uh you know, like, yeah, yeah, like, like those. Yeah. I I think we were bantering on Facebook or something because I even said, give me some examples because I I think, I think there would be a good article in there, a good conversation about what are some of those, (gasps) those things. It was happy hour. It was our oh, virtual happy hour. Our virtual happy hour. <laughs> That's of what it course. Was. Yes. So of course we were having wonderful ideas. In, in, yeah. In that. Yep. Um, so, I like that, how she calls oh. it the invisible curriculum. I love, yeah. that's very, very powerful too. Yeah. Um, and I, I didn't mention it before and I don't know. I think the, she's got a book coming out that I think is called the invisible curriculum of care or something like that um, coming out soon that I'm excited about. But what we were just talking about also reminded me that um, the article starts with that quote I read. And then the next quote is someone saying, I didn't get a master's degree to change diapers. Um, And (laughs) And if we're honest with ourselves, thoughts like that one or similar to that one, I guarantee have crossed through everybody's brain at some, some point. And, but then to that, when you, and, and, and I'm sure you've come across this with your zero to three work too, is many, many people feel that your most experienced, most highly trained staff need, should, could be your infant people, yeah. which flies huge in the face of unfortunately what the general public right. perceives. Or just that, that typical, at least American childcare culture. Yeah, yes, that yes, we put yes. our least experienced people in the infant room because anyone can rock and feed a baby. When and, it, and it's the actual complete. With, yeah, yes. the the deeper. Well, I don't want to say deeper. I don't want to turn it into like a a war of who's more important. But but we can't devalue just because we see it as care and not teaching. Exactly. Yeah, that was a very nice encapsulation there. Ms. Oh, thank you. You're welcome. <laughs> Um, so I, I, I'm just really excited about the whole book and I imagine there will be other things to talk about. I I like how she kind of wraps up the article. Um, not that I'm wrapping our conversation up, but, but okay. (laughs) I like it when articles give you maybe something to think about that, that maybe you have or have not had other of your own independent thought on, but then give you like a call to action. Yeah. And like, I'm like, okay, I could totally use this article and her suggestion here to run a staff meeting next month, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, And she says for a starting spot, 
we can, and I think your listeners could do this too, engage in a self-study by looking closely at our transitions, meals, sleeping, toileting, and dressing routines, and reflecting on our practices. But to that, I'm going to add something that I've been saying more recently, which is you still have to examine your values Mm -hmm. before you can examine your practice. You know, what are your personal beliefs regarding those times, Mm -hmm. but then also what are your professional beliefs? Because sometimes there can be a disconnect between maybe what I've done at home with my own children Mm -hmm. versus what I do, you know, when, when I'm in, in a a more public. Yeah. And I, I mean, transitions of course could also be a whole uh, new episode, but if we think about the way transition conversations are usually centered, it's usually very gimmicky. Like here are some, some hop, you know, hop like a frog and get to the next place or whatever. But instead, I think this gives us a different lens to look at those times of the day as um, how am I caring during that time? What do I care about what they think or feel or are doing and how do I show my care? during that moment sort of fell apart on me. Well, and, and going, no, but. no, I don't think so. I think, I think it also allows us to see that maybe, maybe it allows us an, uh, the opportunity to really think that the way we've been handling some of those time frames, like, like she might give you the rationale to make some of those changes that should have happened years or months ago. And now you're like, oh, yeah, you know why? Yeah. Why am I lining fifteen children up against the wall to take a turn to go <laughs> to to pee? Like, why can't they stay engaged? Uh-huh. And why am I not trusting? And I'm thinking olders right now. Yeah. But why am I? Why am I making an assumption that that has to be an assembly line process? Why mm-hmm. am I not trusting that the child will be able to say, "Ooh, <laughs> I gotta go pee." Yeah, <laughs> you know, and they can self-regulate that yeah. from their own selves. Yeah, so I, th- I think there's I think there's a challenge in this way of thinking about just the kind of things you're describing. Why am I doing it that way, and is it is this the way I should be doing it? But also, I think there's a lot of um, validation in this way of thinking too, because we may not realize we're already engaging in the pedagogy of care, but we just think of it as you know being nice or <laughs> or um, you know, being respectful or whatever, but we're not really thinking about the depth of what we're doing. So I think, and I think it 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 allows us to have a very a potentially uncomfortable conversation um, about the fact that often the caregiving roles are delegated to the assistant the or the aide mm-hmm. or the floater. Mm-hmm. Um, and and I I would like to I would love to have some like like real conversations about that you know why why uh, why are those the things that get delegated Mm -hmm. yeah because i didn't get a master's degree to change diapers Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and scene and scene (laughs) i i do like how she acknowledged that um conversations around care can become emotionally oh yes Mm -hmm. i'm glad you brought that in for those of you who do, you know, not that this is a challenge or we're giving you homework, yeah. but for those of you who do say, okay, you know, let's go back and look at how, as a program, we deal with transition meals, sleeping, toileting, routines. Um, y- you need to be ready for it to, what, get emotional? Can, yeah. can you say it that way? Because yeah. I think people will bring to the, t- I, I, I think what I'm, da- I'm dancing around a scenario that's in my head instead of just saying the scenario. Me, <laughs> We had, um, this is an older story from when I was still teaching in a center. It was three, uh, three and four year old classroom. And one of the boys, um, uh, he was four and his mother still fed him. 
like she would come in at lunchtime and uh-huh. would would feed him uh-huh. and and would cut up his food and would but and it was very just it was a very culturally specific culturally mm-hmm. driven act i had no dog in the fight you want to come in and feed your kid i awesome you know hurts me not at all <laughs> hurts me not at all you know would i engage in that it was mostly not that i a yes or no it was just i had honestly god heather i had never ever witnessed that mm-hmm. in my entire life so from that perspective, it was just kind of, it was new, right? Mm-hmm. It was something new and shiny. And so, you know, I just kind of let it, I didn't, you know, discourage it. You know, um, I did not send a memo announcing to all the other parents, <laughs> you know, that you can come and do this, but right. I surely wasn't going to shut it down if somebody instigated it. But I remember the staff, it like gave the staff, oh my God, gossip, gossip. Mm-hmm. We weren't a gossipy group of, sure. of teachers at that program, but it was so Now, looking back, their emotional reactions to that, and then right on the coattails of that, probably less than a year later, we had a mama that was still breastfeeding her three-year-old. Yeah. Oh, boy, that'll rile people up too. (laughs) Oh my God. But, but it's a perfect example. Those, both of those have have been in my head about the, the, the emotional reaction that is value driven uh-huh. that that you it, it can be difficult to assist somebody to see that even though your lens is locked and loaded on that being acceptable or not acceptable like you can't convince somebody that that their value system is wrong you know what i'm saying right. like you you could it, it just turns into 15 different teachers at a staff meeting talking <laughs> about what they believe is right and at some point you got to get through I don't know, or it can become a, a, a roadblock, a stumbling mm-hmm. block to the real conversations that have to happen. And, and, I, and I think that is, goes back to what the guy said the other day about you, you got to know what your values are before you can yes. think about your practice. Because you might not, like, I bet nobody in that school realized that they had such a crazy <laughs> overreaction to the, oh my God, that kid's three years old. Why are you still whipping out your boob? And blah, 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 blah. And you're like, did you even, have you thought about this ever until right, right now? You know, and and then you decide in the moment that that's how you feel about it without examining why is this happening? (laughs) Like you're just suddenly, oh, I guess this is what I believe. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Why? And why am I so like violent about it? (laughs) Yeah, yeah. And so I've definitely had those kinds of conversations too with with staff and um, they were always really quick with the list of things that they thought developmentally could be harmed by the practice. Uh, so I would always okay. try to be like, well, what do you think he might be gaining by the practice? <laughs> let's, let's flip it around and see what the good might well, be. Well, and that's, that's good advice for your directors and admins who are listening, right? right? How right. to reframe that very quickly, right? Yeah. We're, we're overly focused on the negative. Let's, you let's know, I'm not it. taking your value away yeah. from you, but let's, let's yeah. reframe it. Sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't. But it's a tool, right? That maybe <laughs> yes. some of the listeners hadn't had prior. Yeah, yeah. Oh, man. You know what's weird? I miss being a director more when I'm talking about the difficult conversations that I used to have to have. Because you probably were very, very good at it. I and you it. Might, in the heat of the moment, when you were doing it, you might not have realized yeah. how, how good you were yeah, at a very God. challenging, demanding role. 
I mean, I couldn't do it. Nice of you to spin it for me that way. (laughs) Well, it's very true. I mean, I knew that I couldn't be the director. I was the owner and the preschool teacher. And I I had people who were really good directors running running the show. Mm -hmm. Because if you're, my ego, you know, it, I, I, I just, at that point in my career, I was too realistic. I knew, I knew what I'm good at. I knew what I'm not good at. And I'm like, I, my, my ego doesn't need to be wearing these three hats. Yeah. Oh God. So we've, we've got like three other podcast topics in this conversation. <laughs> Are you writing them down? <laughs> I, I did not, but I, you know, maybe I'll remember. <laughs> so thank you, Lisa. This was a great conversation thank you. again, um, because I know it comes up and then they always email Jeff about the article and he doesn't ever know. So the article is called The Invisible Curriculum by Carol Garboden Murray and it was in Child Care Information Exchange in 2017 2017 yep um okay well thanks for listening everybody um I hope that this was as fun for you to hear as it was for us to do because this is what my brain needed uh midweek two of my quarantine <laughs> your coronacation <laughs> my coronacation <laughs> oh my god all right thanks everybody come back again and listen to another episode please <laughs> That early childhood nerd. Yes, that's me. Having me on. All right. (laughs) Bye. And that's the show. Now go get your nerd on. This has been an Explorations Early Learning Upstairs Studio production. Oh.